The following podcast is brought to you by The Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Layman Pang, who left us some writings um, uh, about his practice, and so far as we know, there might have been other laymen, but uh, unfortunately, history has not than those lay practitioners justice. But we studied uh, him uh, during these, these, these past months. And um, I felt before we put him on our, on our uh, library, uh, in our libraries that he collects dust, just to consult with him a little bit more as we go into what our next steps will be. And one of the stories that has always touched my heart is about his relationship with his daughter, Ling Chao. For those of you who are not familiar with uh, Layman Pang, who was called the Layman, he was rich. And the story goes is that he was so uh, passionate about following the way that he um, took his belongings and sank them and lived an itinerant life. He and his entire family. And they... Uh, lived on making bamboo utensils. Now, we don't know a lot about his relationship with his wife or with his son. He had a son and a daughter. But we know something about his relationship with his daughter, Ling Chao. And she comes up now and then in some of the, uh, in some of the, uh, the writings. And I wanted to share one with you tonight uh, called Helping Someone Up. It's number 54. It goes as th like this. Once when the layman was on, uh, was on his way to sell his bamboo baskets, he stumbled and fell while crossing over a bridge. When Ling Chao saw this, she came up, she came to her, to her father's side and fell on the ground. The layman said, what are you doing? Ling Chao said, I saw you had fallen, so I came to lend you a hand. The layman said, well, who can see what is there to take hold of? The story, I think, wipes out the notion about who is the helper and who is the helped in this story. It's, a, it's about compassion, but compassion is not a commodity that we as practitioners deliver, I like to think, but it's a commitment. Consider our Bodhisattva vows. Sentient beings are numberless. I vow to save them. But I do think the story is about intimacy. What does it mean to be most intimate? This is a story I think we should look at because to be the most intimate response to another's difficulty is not running away. Running away can be considered a form of abandonment or escaping into helping, namely developing a plan, a strategy, or what could or ought to happen in a difficulty. Intimacy is to stay in a company, to listen, to be vulnerable, to be surprised and flexible. It's a willingness to fall down with someone else and see what emerges. When I was a uh, chaplain student, uh, I 
shared with my peer group and my supervisor about my uh, experience with a woman who was dying. And I walked in and we talked and I said, you know, some words that I thought was going to give her comfort. And my supervisor said to me, what would it mean to you if you got into the boat with her? I didn't have any words, but I realized he was right. What would have been, what would it have mean to me if I just sat with her in her silence, in her tears, in my tears, and be with her? It took me some time to realize the words that I wanted to say to her and were saying to her were for me, not for her. I was escaping. I didn't want to see her dying. I didn't want to feel helpless. I am on the board of the Zen Peacemakers International. <clears throat> and Zen Peacemakers has a, a, is part of our history of the village Zendo. Um, Bernie Glassman, who uh, founded the, the, the organization some 30 years ago, um, based his uh, organization on what's called the three tenants, not knowing, bearing witness. And the third one always has gone through a number of incarnations over the years. It's called social action, healing action, uh, the offering. So I leave you to figure out what is the best of the three to choose from. And one of the things that the uh, uh, the uh, bearing, uh, the bearing the Zen Peacemakers has done is what's called Bearing Witness Retreats. Its most famous 30 years has been going to Auschwitz to experience what it's like for those who, uh, who were in the camps. And it, it's a big undertaking because it's not just survivors, but it's also the perpetrators and their descendants. But also the Bearing Witness Retreats have gone to Rwanda, Bosnia, and they work here in this, in this country uh, with the Lakota Indians. Most recently, last year and this year, we started a Bearing Witness Retreat to racism in Alabama. Selma and, and Montgomery uh, were quite instrumental in the 60s about the Civil Rights Movement. And Selma has been a, the, is, uh, the poorest, the second poorest city in the, in the state of Alabama. But the voting rights was very crucial to those folks. And Selma has suffered a lot. I mean, the famous Pederist Bridge, um, if some of you are aware of the, of the Bloody Sunday riots in which uh, John Lewis had participated in, it's, it's a rather depressed area. And if someone were to tell you that racism has been resolved, they'll tell you no. No. And the story about how the folks at that town were so committed to learn to the right to vote, the story is, is that they dressed up in their Sunday best and they took lunch just in case they got, uh, were going to get arrested. And they were taught not to be violent. 
nonviolence. And some of the stories of them sitting in certain places and having someone come and yell in your face and you weren't supposed to react. Or someone taking a lit cigarette and putting it in your head. The folks were very committed. Fast forward, I mean, the right to vote is, is now established, so we'd like to think. But that opportunity has been used by um, celebrities, Oprah being one of them, who, again, used the Pederast Bridge as a background for her, her, uh, her, her story. Uh, also, uh, President Obama, who celebrated the anniversary of the crossing of the Pederast Bridge. And most recently, President Biden, who I think in his own way was trying to kick off the announcing his um, presidency, although he wouldn't say so. But again, the background of the Pederast Bridge was used, got halfway across the bridge, and then jumped into his limousine and took off. But Zen Peacemakers was wanting to look, to look at racism in Alabama. And Racism wasn't just about skin color, and it isn't. It's about power. It looks at class, education, gender, and sexuality. And if you think about it, that's racism. It's not just about skin color. And so we reached out, as some of you know, that um, some has suffered some uh, tornado damage. And we said we were coming to you in uh, late April, and we uh, wanted to bear witness to racism. Here we are going to people who were foot soldiers at that time, <clears throat> and who are uh, interested in our coming to them, but they have no idea about what Zen is like. Well, what is Zen? How do you explain the three tenets to people, because when you explain bearing witness, not knowing, you know, healing action, social action, it sounds like cookie talk, fortune cookie talk. And so we were so focused on what is there something that we can do, like paint a bench, paint a wall, can we do something? What do you think needs done? And one of the people from the participants or the city leader said to us, and I'm not going to say it in the way that she said it, but just imagine this woman railing, saying we've had female folks asking us, what do we need all the time? We want to get back on our feet again. Tell us, what do you want? Tell us, what do you want? I said to the person who uh, on the, our planning team, I said, the folks there don't trust us. How do we go into an atmosphere, a place, <clears throat> and begin to bear witness to what's going on? They don't trust us. We have work to do. We have work to do. Helping can be a form of escaping. 
But intimacy, I believe, comes with a consequence, <clears throat> a consequence of death. On a literal level, it's witnessing my involvement in the suffering. One of my colleagues who's gone to a number of the uh, Auschwitz retreats have said, when they've met with the religious leaders, the religious leaders have said, you know, we participated in letting these folks die. But how many years did it take for those, that, that statement to be made? So there's the literal level. And on the figurative level, many people have died. Many people were killed fighting for something that was right. We have work to do. The second part of the story talks about, or I, I would like for us to think about, is that we've all fallen. This country is trying to, suffering from mental health problems, the economy, housing. All you hear on the media these days is that we are trying to get back on our feet again, but we've all fallen. And what do we have to hold on to? Lehman Pang says. What is there around to hold on to? Well, I believe we have those vows, which we will be chanting at the end of this talk, that we, um, brings us back to why we do what we do, what this practice is about this way that we make, uh, that make much use of the word of. Some of you know that I have a fondness for words. And in a book called The Hidden History of Explaining Our Secret Past, Daniel Boriston uses the word hodos, which means the way. And if you look at it on a literal level, is the way can be a grand adventure opening to all ambiguities and doubts that go with the journey. And on a, on a figurative level, a package arrangement, a relationship involving little risks. It's important to come back and keep checking in where is our practice? What is this practice that we say that we're a part of. Are we being literal or are we being figurative? Because remember, it does come with a consequence. Thank you. <laughs>